Episode 75, How Symptom Checkers Improve PCP Quality and Efficiency. Today, I speak with Dr. Richard Munnessy from DocResponse. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. There is certainly a contingent of doctors out there who scold patients for going online to search for symptoms. But here's the thing. Medical sites online don't get millions of hits a month because patients are naughty, naughty little mischief makers. Medical sites online get millions of hits a month because patients are internet savvy consumers doing what internet savvy consumers do. This is a train that has left the station. Today, I speak with Dr. Richard Munnessy from DocResponse. DocResponse currently holds the honor of being the world's most accurate symptom checker. Dr. Munnessy and the team over at DocResponse see the savvy internet healthcare consumer as ultimately a good thing because engaged patients have better outcomes after all. And we should really be doing everything that we can to help patients engage better with better information. And here's the best news. This is all good business. Dr. Spence found that by improving quality and efficiency, PCP billings per physician go up about 200K a year. That's an amazing number. And this doesn't even include additional billings because doctors can focus more on complex cases. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Richard. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. I've been a fan of the podcast for quite some time, and you know I've seen uh, some pretty awesome episodes you guys have had out there, especially episode 67 with Danielle Jones. I thought that was phenomenal. And I thank you so much for that. So Doc Response, I noticed on your website, you call it the world's most accurate symptom tracker. Talk about the title. Where'd that come from? Well, in 2015, uh, Harvard Medical School, they decided to do a landmark study on all of the quote-unquote symptom checkers available to the patient population. They took a look at over 140 similar technology platforms. They took all of these platforms that do the symptom tracker technology. They ran them through a gamut of tests. They ran them through clinical scenario after clinical scenario to test them for accuracy. And at the end of the day, we actually came out on top. And the thing that's most surprising about that is that at the time, we weren't even live. We were essentially beta testing. We had put DocResponse out on the web and on the iTunes as well as the Google Play Store just to get kind of user responses to improve the user experience. And on July, I think it was July the 6th or so, the British Medical Journal published Harvard's results of the study. And it turned out we came out number one, as I spoke about before. And I had no idea we were even in it. Our founder had no idea we were in it as well. He gave me a call and he told me about what had happened. He didn't tell me the results. So my initial thought was, well, they tested us when we're in beta. This probably tanks our whole startup because we weren't 100% live and ready to go. And, you know, to our pleasant surprise, we came out number one. And this was July 6, 2015? July 8th, I believe, is the journal release date for the BMJ piece. What exactly is a symptom tracker? Like, what's the dictionary definition? 
Uh, well, I'm sorry, it's a symptom checker. And essentially what it is is this. A patient will look online. It'll give them the option to input a symptom, whether it's their shoulder that's hurting, they have a sore throat, they have some chest pain. And then what happens is the technology runs through an algorithm in most cases. And based on the patient's answers, there is a quote-unquote diagnosis that's generated but what it really is, is it gives patients information about their symptoms so they can you know, make a decision on the next step in their care, whether they want to go see a physician, go to the ER, or whether it seems like it's something that's a little bit less serious. Is this a way effectively to help patients diagnose themselves? It is and it isn't. And let me tell you why. Nothing is going to be able to replace a patient going to a physician. A physician goes through the history and diagnosis, they go through testing, and then they make their you know, choice on, on what they feel is the issue based on all of those things. This type of technology gives patients a, like the power to make a decision on their next step. So when you have all of the platforms that are out there, unfortunately, a lot of them are very, very inaccurate. You know, everybody has that story where they've gone on WebMD for something simple and the diagnosis comes back as something terrible like cancer or something like that. But when used in a proper way with an accurate symptom checker, it really helps the patient population uh, make better decisions about their healthcare and increases patient engagement and empowerment. I was reading Fast Company the other day and I wrote down this quote and I, I knew I would have a use for it. And this is that moment. The quote was, business winners connect a holistic understanding of the problem to a viable solution. So what's the problem here? You know, like, what what was the burning need for this platform and, and the big problem that you aim to solve with it? Well, I can tell you this, you know, initially, the first iteration of Doc Response was built to solve one problem. And that problem is this, is patients coming into clinics throughout the country and throughout the world with stacks of printed paper from information that they had looked up on Google. So patients are coming in with these wildly inaccurate ideas that, you know, even though they may have a shoulder injury, they're thinking, oh, well, I have a torn ligament or, you know, I'm having perhaps, you know, some sort of vascular issue. And these patients are coming in and it's so hard for a physician to be able to point the patient in the proper direction, convince them that they're wrong and convince them that, hey, you know what, this is the correct way to go forward. So Doc Response was built by our CEO and founder, Tarek Fall, who is a practicing orthopedic surgeon himself. And he came up with the idea because of that issue. You know, he saw what patients were doing. He saw what they were bringing in. And the things that they were bringing in were completely nonsensical. And there was nothing available on the market for patients to go to and to really get a proper understanding of their true issues in healthcare. So there was no real core uh, knowledge area that they could go to online. And, you know, today's patient is more and more technologically savvy than any other previous generation. But the problem is they don't know where to go. They'll go on Google. They'll type in their symptom. They'll get these ridiculous answers. And then they'll think that that's canon. And the truth is, you know, that needs to be changed and that needs to be fixed. And, and that's why we built DocResponse. It's really interesting the avenue that DocResponse took, because I would have to say that I have seen far more physicians, you know, if you just do a Google search online for, you know, 
doctor's view on symptom checkers or, or doctor's view of patients looking up their symptoms online, you will get a million doctors whose basic answer to that question is patients shouldn't be checking their symptoms online. Patients should not be diagnosing themselves. In fact, my doctor, my PCP, actually, she's in the same office as my PCP. She wrote an article that was in Women's Day or something. And this is what she said. While I'm a strong believer in patient education and involvement, this trend is actually making it more difficult for physicians to guide their patients appropriately. But it's really interesting that Doc Response's answer was, look, this is an, you know, unassailable trend that patients are online. Patients are exactly like you said, very savvy with the internet. So instead of telling them to stay off the internet, you know, like bad little children, doing some of those parental controls and keeping them off of medical sites, what Doc Responses response is to say basically, you know, this is going to happen. Instead of telling patients not to do it, let's give them the right tools so that they can do it well. Exactly. And, you know, one of the biggest things that physicians really need to accept is that this is happening. It's happening right now, and it's only going to continue to happen with the patient population uh, every year. So if I had to ask you, how many people do you think use these types of technologies in the United States every year? What number do you think it is? It? And am I answering like myself or maybe as a, as a PCP, an average PCP? Uh, just as yourself, just because this is this is I'm going to give you a number. It's pretty staggering. But I'm just curious your opinion. I am probably going to guess very high just because I've actually done a bunch of research into this topic. So I'm probably not <laughs> <laughs> not going to be well, your average well, uh, bear here. <laughs> oh, no, no worries. Well, the thing that a lot of people don't realize is you're looking at 100 million patients every single year are using symptom checkers in the United States alone. A hundred million. When you look at our population as a whole, we have, you know, what, about 330 million, 350 million people or so. You take away the children and the very, very old people in the population, and that's the majority of Americans are going online and they're trying to figure out what's going on with their health care. So there is very, very active patient engagement with regards to their own health care. But the problem is, is they're being pointed in the wrong direction. So during the uh, Harvard study, some significant numbers came out that were pretty shocking to us. And, and that's this. Our technology platform was 150% more accurate than WebMD and iTriage. And iTriage boasts about 50 million users per year. And of course, WebMD is, is a behemoth. But another thing that really surprised us was our platform was 300% more accurate than the Mayo Clinic's similar technology platform. So you have these large, large names within the healthcare sector that are really putting out bad information and patients are flocking to it in droves without knowing, you know, what to do with the answers. And that's where we're seeing these issues with physicians because patients, you know, they don't know any better. They could have spent hours searching for, you know, their diagnosis and what the repercussions could be. And they're, they're concerned and they're, actively looking for answers, and DocResponse provides that. But let's get into the essence of this matter. Why shouldn't the advice be, patient, instead of spending hours on your computer Googling symptoms, why not put that time to better use and just go see your doctor? <laughs> you know what? That, that is a great point. But the, the thing is this, you know, it all comes down to money. 
you know, physicians visits, they cost money and people don't want to spend extra money when they don't need to. You know, these are tough times here in the States. We're kicking ourselves out of the recent recession. Healthcare costs are soaring. And it's not only more expensive to see a physician, but it's harder to even get in the door. You think about the average ER wait, the average time to see a, a PCP. I believe that I read a study that said it was 60 to 90 days to get an appointment with a PCP in areas like Boston and New York City. So when you think about those things, you know, that is really driving this. I believe that's really driving this whole technology boom towards healthcare and seeing the 100 million plus patients every year looking online. It's just the combination of time and money, just like everything else that drives anything really in this country. I can see the value to a patient that by having a tool which is going to get you to a much better diagnosis or, you know, much better direction, at least, than the available online tools would be of great benefit to a patient for the reasons that you mentioned, because this is the go-to, the natural go-to for most people anyway, number one. And number two, because as you're saying, you know, doctors are not always available and they cost money. But I'm going to assume that patients aren't the one that are footing the bill, mostly for doc response. Who's paying for doc response? That's correct. From a B2B aspect, we actually offer our services to hospitals, to EHR companies that would like to integrate our technology into their platform for value added, as well as for, you know, even PCPs utilize DocResponse and ACOs, MCOs, and the list goes on and on. Essentially, at the core of it, DocResponse needs to be made available to these systems, uh, patient populations, in order to increase the patient engagement, which is been proven to result in better outcomes, better customer service, and a lot more. Uh, they need to be given to the patient population in order to exit out patients that really don't need to be seen that are kind of slamming the system right now. You know, we have this big physician shortage and healthcare provider shortage, and it doesn't help to have patients come in for services that, that they don't really need to come in for. So you're looking at billions of dollars each year are wasted on unnecessary visits. So that's another critical aspect uh, for doc response being used on a B2B level. And with regards to, you know, who pays for it, we have licensing options as well as per member or per employee per month options. And why would one of the segments that you mentioned was an ACO, for example, or a hospital system? Why? There's a shift to value-based healthcare, and, and it's happening right now, as you know. And one of the key things about value-based healthcare is patient outcomes, it's patient engagement, and it's essentially ensuring that the best quality service is being provided. DocResponse was built by board-certified specialist physicians who have training that supersedes any PCP out there. So by utilizing DocResponse's differential diagnosis aspect of the generation of differential diagnosis, it allows any physician to have, you know, that much more knowledge at their fingertips. So the average PCP, they'll never be able to learn as much as the average specialist would have during their residency. And that's fine. There's two different career paths. But that doesn't mean that the average PCP should not know what the specialist knows or have access to that knowledge. They shouldn't be just shuttling them off for specialist visits. Utilizing DocResponse allows these healthcare systems to really cut down on the total amount of specialist referrals, thus uh, you know, helping to cut costs, as well as increase the efficiency of visits in general 
helping to increase revenue. And from a misdiagnosis aspect, you know, this is something that we don't really talk about, I feel, as much as we should within healthcare in general. And misdiagnosis is a major problem here in the States. And with PCPs, you have a staggering amount of misdiagnoses in general is attributed to PCPs just lacking the time and ability to really generate an accurate differential diagnosis. So doc response being able to do that on their behalf and the PCPs being able to see an accurate differential diagnosis along with being able to make you know their own thoughts and, and their own ideas generated from the visit really can come together and shoot down that misdiagnosis rate on a large scale. Let me just clarify something. I was thinking that DocResponse was a tool used only by patients, but based on what you just said, now I'm getting an inkling that perhaps PCPs could have use of the platform as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, initially DocResponse was built for patients, but as we got more and more into the technology, we realized that it was something much bigger than that. You know, there is a fantastic symptom checker aspect within DocResponse, and it really helps the patient population. But more importantly, it helps these large providers, it helps PCPs, it helps self-insured employers on a scale that's incredibly massive. So from, let's say, like a hospital system perspective, like Kaiser Permanente, I think, is a fantastic example. Utilizing doc response for Kaiser Permanente will be able to allow them to do multiple things. First and foremost, with proper onboarding, it gives patients a tool right at their fingertips through, you know, Kaiser Permanente's healthcare hub or patient portal, it will give them a a tool to really increase patient engagement first and foremost. In the clinic, it increases the efficiency. And we've actually estimated there's about a 10% increase in efficiency within the primary care setting, allowing uh, for, you know, increased amount of patients to be seen to allow for, you know, to offset the physician shortage and healthcare provider shortage. And then lastly, you know, like we talked about before, the whole misdiagnosis rate being cut down, that's critical. For self-insured employers, what you're going to have is you're going to see this cut down in the amount of, of missed work time. You're going to have a cut down in the amount of unnecessary visits. And all of those translate into major cost savings on a large scale. When doc response is used in the clinic, is this something that perhaps a nurse practitioner could use even prior to the PCP showing up in the office visit? In other words, if you have a really good way that a, a nurse practitioner could walk a patient through a series of questions, I could also see how efficiency would further be raised by the notion that the PCP would not necessarily have to be the one walking the patient through the, the program. W- would that be accurate? Absolutely. And, you know, it doesn't even really have to be a nurse practitioner or a PA. The doc response platform can be provided to patients just as they're getting ready to come in for the visit. You just hand them a tablet. They can run through our platform. The differential diagnosis list can be generated and sent over through the EHR system or directly to the primary care physician to look at and read over prior to that initial patient meeting. The other advantage that occurs to me as we're, we're thinking about health systems is this whole variation in healthcare and, and the consistency in healthcare. So I could see that by using a tool such as DocResponse, the other thing that is improved is the, you know, to use Eric Topol's terminology, the a reduction of freelancing, so to speak, you know, a reduction in wildly different treatments being given to patients with essentially the same symptoms. 
Have you noticed that? Absolutely. Yes, we have. You know, Doc Response was built utilizing evidence-based medicine. And that's the real key here as we move forward in healthcare is we need to find the best practices for healthcare and ensure that patients receiving treatment in California are getting the same quality of treatment as those in New York, those in Alabama, those in North Dakota, and really throughout the country and hopefully the world. So Doc Response does really get a hold of those very key treatment options and it provides them, you know, in the form of, you know, our information that's passed on to both patient and provider. One of the things that you had mentioned about five minutes ago when I asked you who's paying for Doc Response, you know, we had listed a number of different segments. And one of them that you had tossed in there was the use of Doc Response by EHR systems as a value add. So I'm inferring from that that what you mean is doc response is added into the patient portal, for example, of a of an EHR system, or or how is it used? Well, there's multiple ways. Number one is definitely through a patient portal. Number two is actually through the EHR itself to be utilized in clinic. So just like the scenario you said earlier about the nurse practitioner utilizing doc response in the clinic, that is how it can be interwoven into the EHR. One of the things that we had talked about before was the aversion, let's just say, of some PCPs and kind of the, or, or maybe I even want to put this a little bit differently, the difficulty of having, I've heard the patients who are constantly online termed as cyberchondriacs, you know, so you, you get someone coming in, as you said, with just piles of paper, or say they've even gone through the the doc response system, and now they have the results from doc response. And obviously, these patients are, as you say, they are engaged. And dealing with an engaged patient who has opinions is a whole different ballgame, really, than dealing with a patient who kind of sits there and waits for a patrician doctor to tell them what to do. Do you have any advice for how do you, is there a difference in the way that, for example, a PCP would need to engage with an engaged patient (laughs) as opposed to perhaps what is, you know, standard practice today? You know, that's a great question. What is standard practice today? You know, how do physicians really deal with that issue? You know, there are a couple of different ways that physicians do it. They'll either get frustrated and upset. They'll, you know, tell the patient off or they'll, you know, completely blow them off and just say, well, you know, whatever. They'll they'll assume that there's no validity in anything that the patient has found. But what really needs to be done is this. Doctors need to simply accept the fact that times have changed. There's nothing we can do about it. The healthcare environment is what it is, and this is the the way of the future. Patients are going to look online to track their symptoms and to follow up on their health. And the, the key thing that doctors need to do is this, is they need to really sit down with the patient, talk to them about where they're finding these packets of information and bringing them to the clinic. Like, where are they pulling this from? Are they just putting it in a Google search? Because anybody can write anything on the internet and publish it. It's a no-brainer. However, If a physician can point their patient population towards accurate areas to look, I think that really changes the game because then the patient is not fighting against the physician, but listening to them. You're satisfying the patient's need for information. And you're also, you know, when you're doing it, you're helping the physician as well. Because, you know, as we all know, one of the critical things Uh, in a doctor-patient relationship is communication. Being able to communicate to the patient on where to look, point them in the right direction, and allowing the patient to, you know, really deep dive into their symptoms 
online and then bring information to the doctor. That's only going to increase communication if done the proper way. Do you find in your work that there's a certain type of patient that tends to go looking around for their symptoms online? I mean, in other words, is this a certain demographic or could you segment patients who would tend to do this into a certain category? I know it's a pretty broad, you know, 100 million people searching online for, for symptoms is a huge portion of the population. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because I was thinking about this the other day. When I was in medical school, I was always told that the patients that are going to bring in papers and that are going to try to argue with you and go back and forth would kind of fit into this box. It would be like a younger person uh, in their, you know, 20s to 30s, uh, and they would be, you know, essentially not really, I don't want to say looking for attention, but they would bring in this stuff in a way to just get a little bit more time with the physician and so on and so forth. And of course, those are very antiquated ideas. The world has changed incredibly since then. But that's something that I thought I would see when I went into practice and when I went into on the clinical clerkships. However, the complete opposite ha- has come out. Anyone can look online and everyone does. Uh, I've seen people from you know young teenagers all the way through to retirees just bringing in packets of information and saying, you know, look, I I think I have this. I think this is the issue. These are my symptoms. This is what I found online. It's really changed. And, And that's something that I cannot stress enough to those within the healthcare environment is this change is permanent and it's not going anywhere. And the best way to move forward from this is to point the patient population in the proper direction because they're always going to be hungry for knowledge. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing because it's going to increase their engagement. We're going to get better outcomes. They're going to be more prone to listen if you listen to them and you really react in the right way. And I was just thinking that, you know, obviously there's been a ton of research that has been done on how important shared decision making is and engagement is toward outcomes. That if you get a patient who is actively involved in their care and making decisions on their care and understanding their disease, you know, those patients are infinitely, have infinitely better outcomes than those who are on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. It would seem like a patient who is willing to go online and, and do this research, that's a great starting point <laughs> for engagement. That you know, So I'm wondering whether simply having a tool and getting that encourages a patient to go looking and becoming actively involved in their care would make them more apt to, first of all, understand it, and second of all, then more willing to take that same level of engagement into their treatment. Exactly. And you know what? A big problem with it is this. is uh, I don't know if you know this, but doctors tend to think that they know everything. Have you heard of this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but physicians, uh, you know, physicians in general, they don't want to accept the fact that this is happening. They want to be that sole point of information. But you can't do that anymore. Uh, for a multitude of reasons. Number one, the technology aspect, which we've been talking about. But more important to that is this giant shortage that we're being hit with right now. You know, the ACA has has pumped in, what, 25 million or more people into the current patient population throughout the United States at a time when we already have a physician shortage. And from the primary care perspective, by 2020, the estimates are like through the roof. We're looking at 40,000 to 60,000. And that's really on the conservative end, that, that shortage. So 
you know, when you have limited resources, you need to kind of start looking at different ways to solve the problem. Because what I'm seeing right now happening is we're all out in a boat in the middle of the ocean. That This represents the healthcare environment. We're out in a boat in the middle of the ocean. Rain is starting to come down. But instead of building a canopy to deflect that rain, we're building buckets to try to dump the water out that's flooding our boat. So we need to really take a plan of attack here and, and look at where we can work with the patient population to increase efficiency in general and to really exit out patients from the system that don't need to be seen and focus our energy on the people that really need it. Because otherwise, we're in for a rough road ahead over the next few decades. And I know in an earlier conversation, one of the points that you made, which I hadn't really thought about until you had said it, that was that PCPs tend to be, I mean, it's not like the rest of healthcare is, is any sort of speedy Gonzalez on the, the health, you know, the technology adoption curve. But PCPs tend to lag even beyond the, the bolus of, of healthcare relative to technology. And probably it's because exactly what you said. I mean, it's, if you're very, very busy mopping up the floor, it's really hard to find time to turn off the faucet. What advice might you have for a PCP who intellectually understands what you're saying, but then the the circumstances of their day-to-day is just, you know, 14 five-alarm fires an hour. You know, how do you how do you move forward adopting new technology and switching up your your workflow while at the same time you're so busy? Well, first and foremost, I have to say for any PCPs listening, God bless you, because you are really fighting the good fight here. You know, there is a huge shortage. You guys are getting slammed. And, you know, seeing 20 to 40 patients a day is unbelievable. And the fact that, you know, PCPs are doing this to try to help as many people as possible on a daily basis is fantastic. And I have to laud them for their efforts. And, yes, you know, the average PCP is just treading water and trying to get through each day. But, you know, in order to provide the best service for your patient population, there are times when you have to sacrifice. You have to kind of, you know, spend that extra time in clinic. You have to spend that time on the weekends. You have to have the proper people in front of you who can really help you bring the best outcomes to your patient population. And, and that's going to be by adopting this new technology, whether it's doc response or, or something else that's out there. And there's no simple way about it. You just kind of have to bite the bullet. You have to fight through and know that at the end of the day that your sacrifice is going to be helping people for years and years and years on a daily basis. And that's really the best advice that I can say is just, you know, take a deep breath, jump in with two feet. And, you know, the outcomes at the end of the day will give you the answer that you made the right choice. That reminds me of, and obviously I'm not a physician, I'm certainly not a PCP, but it does remind me of some advice that I had been given just as a business owner relative to just effectively running a business. And one thing that someone told me, which really stuck with me, is that you have to give yourself permission to set up a system in order to do things the right way. 
in other words, a lot of times it's really easy as a business owner to get sucked into a fire drill. You, you know, you think to yourself, I, I simply can't block off my calendar for an hour in order to do something which is going to have a long-term impact. I've got so many short-term priorities that seem to be much more important simply because they're much more urgent. And the, the idea was, you, you have to sit back and actually permit yourself to take the time that you need to have a little vision and to work on your business and not necessarily in your business. And that really actually, you know, I heard that all, uh, quite a number of years ago. And I, I often, as I'm planning my day, you know, just simply as a business owner, I, I, I think of that. And when I'm tempted to go jetting off into kind of a frantic activity mode, I think to myself, you know, I, I need it, it's really important as as a business owner to permit yourself that time. I wonder if there's relevance just based on what you said. I think we're both saying the same thing in a different way. Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it is hard. You know, when a PCP is seeing, you know, 20, 30, 40 patients a day, how are they going to have time to even think about that? You know, that's why we had the High Tech Act. That's why people were pushed to use EHRs, because on a large scale, academics and people that are outside of the healthcare provider role see where these technologies are going to really help healthcare in general, help the patient population in general. They see the coming storm. But the average PCP, they, they can't see that. And even a lot of these hospital systems, they can't see that because they're just trying to get through each quarter and, and find a way to stay in the black. Where can people find out more information about Doc Response? Should they be interested? Thank you for asking. You can visit us at docresponse.com, facebook.com backslash docresponse, or at docresponse on Twitter. And there's a contact us box over on our website that is available 24-7, and that ports over your message over to me or one of the uh, critical members of the team who'd be happy to answer your questions. Fantastic. I thank you so much for being on the program today, Richard. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far, there are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.